Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I need your Holy Spirit right now to minister to me and through me. That what you have given me to present will be your words. And that you will utilize the words and the thoughts presented to minister to those who listen today. Help me to hide behind the cross. And may your son be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. The perfect world. Would you like to live in a perfect world? Sadly, we do not yet. Sunday, October the 1st, 2017, is a date that will go down in American history as a dark day, one of the darkest that we've seen in decades. A 64-year-old retired accountant named Stephen Paddock broke out a window on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Then he proceeded to use guns that he had previously brought into the room, and he began to fire upon concert goers below. When his guns stopped firing, 58 people lay dead on the ground and another 500 wounded. That tells you how many bullets he had, at least. If you scour the internet, you will find lots of conflicting reports about that night. Some say that it had to have been the work of more than one shooter. Some say it was a cover-up for a, a greater event to get control of America's guns. I don't know about any of that. All I know is that 58 families' lives were changed forever. Oddly enough, around the same time, in that same week, actually, I remember hearing this story, here locally in southern Illinois, where I speak to you today, closer to home, four young people, two of whom were minors, were arrested. What were they arrested for? They broke into a local farm and stole 30 baby piglets from a, a farm not far from here. And it is reported that they tortured and maimed and killed those little piglets. We can only assume for fun. As Brother Bob likes to say, have mercy. Now, events like these are hard for us to wrap our minds around. No matter how much violence and bloodshed and death that we encounter or we hear about in our lives, nothing prepares you for stories like these. But as the followers of Jesus Christ and believers in the messages of the Bible, we should not be surprised by 
these types of events. Since the Bible clearly says and predicts that in the last days, the earth would be filled with lawless, cold-hearted people. And it's no wonder that our society has become this because by and large our society has decided that God is a myth an old wives tale or a scare tactic to control the masses of people interesting interestingly enough the apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians be not deceived God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows that shall he also reap so if we remove God out of our society, if we remove God of our, out of our schools and our homes and our lives, then guess what? God is out. And if God is out, that leaves us in the hands of the enemy of souls, Satan himself. I want to share with you a paragraph that I want to use as a springboard from the book uh, Prophets and Kings, page 277. I hope that you can read it. I, now that I see it, man, I could have made the print a little bigger. But I'm going to read it as well if you're not able to see it clearly. And it says, The time is at hand when there will be sorrow in the world that no human balm can heal. The Spirit of God is being withdrawn. Disasters by sea and by land follow one another in quick succession. How frequently we hear of earthquakes and tornadoes, of destruction by fire and flood, with great loss of life and property. Apparently, these calamities are capricious outbreaks of disorganized, unregulated forces of nature, wholly beyond the control of man. But... In them all, God's purposes may be read. They are among the agencies by which he seeks to arouse men and women to a sense of their danger. I would be willing to bet that you personally know people who are in danger today, right now. Because the Spirit of God is being withdrawn. And if the Spirit of God is being withdrawn, then that means that somebody is standing ready to move right in and snatch God's people away. That old devil, Lucifer, the red dragon, you might say, Satan. And he's there just waiting to jump at the opportunity. Go with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. A very familiar passage of Scripture that we have read. Second Timothy, chapter 3, and verse 1. I have to apologize to our 
audio video crew, I may have forgotten a hyphen between the one and the five when I sent it to them. My apologies, but they're quick on their toes. Thank you very much. But know this, that in the last days, question, are we living in the last days? How do we know? We're getting ready to read it here, right here, right? We're getting ready to read that we know that we are in the last days. If you're familiar with that metal man in the book of Daniel chapter 2, a lot of people say, oh, we're living in the time of the toenails, right? That's how far down we are. But know this, that in the last days, good times will come. Is that what it says? Perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You ever watch the news? Not very often. Same with me. I tune in occasionally. But if you watch the news, you are bound to see a lot of these things reflected in what's going on in our world. And if you are a user of social media, you really are seeing what's going on on these things that are listed. And we will say, our temptation is to say, well, yeah, out there in the world, there are lovers of money and there are blasphemers and there are uh, 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 despisers of good and there are those that are disobedient to to the parents but he says the Paul says having a form of godliness do those people out there have a form of godliness no where are the people who have the form of godliness in the church not just not this church right everybody say no not this church right but the church in general, right? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. What power? Power to overcome all of these character traits that he just got through listing is what will be uh, the state of people in the last days. Paul did not mince any words. And he says, you should not be taken off guard. The Bible clearly tells us what the last days will be like. And we can draw strength from this to say, yes, we are living in the last days. So in the wake of events, such as what happened on that Sunday night in Las Vegas, situations like this leave us with more questions and answers. And there's a lot of finger pointing and the blame game goes on and this is what caused it and that's what caused it and this and that and so on and so forth. Who's responsible? What was he thinking is the questions. How did he get those weapons? Was he acting alone? Is there more we don't know? In the aftermath 
of events such as these, the response of our society, of our governments, is to legislate more laws. Let's just pass more laws. And we'll make people be good, right? Can we make people be good? You might be able to make them sort of kind of walk a straight line, but there's a problem in here that we'll talk a little bit more about later. More control, more legislation, more investigations, more surveillance. And while they may not come out and say it, the world out there is looking for the perfect world. A world where children may lay down at night without the fear of being shot by a stray bullet. Where a world where an elderly person can go to the doctor without fearing of how to pay the bill. A world where families have enough income, which translates to enough to eat and enough to pay the household bills. A world where people do not hurt each other, but everyone is tolerant and loving to one another. A world where not even one child goes to bed hungry. But you know what? There is no way that imperfect beings can create this perfect world. We are the imperfect beings. And we, even with all of the goodness that we have in us, which is really not a lot, we as humankind cannot create a perfect world when we ourselves are imperfect. Wasn't it Jesus who said, my kingdom is not of this world? I did a little research and I went looking on the internet to see if I could find how many laws there are in the federal books in the United States. And do you know that I could not find one website that could give an accurate count of the number of laws in our land? Not one. Nobody knows. Nobody knows the number of laws that are on the books that are designed to make people do the right thing and be good and treat each other fairly with respect and honor. Nobody knows. Friends, the answer is not more laws. The answer is not more control. The answer is not more security, more background checks, more investigations, more legislation, for these do not address the real problem. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. What is the real problem? Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 has the answer. The Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it? Friends, that's the problem. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here, right? The heart is deceitfully wicked, even me, and probably even you too. That's just the state of who we are, right? That is the issue. The heart 
And the question is asked, Jeremiah asked, who can know it? Somebody tell me the answer. God knows. Jesus knows the heart, right? He knows. And you ever hear, you ever hear somebody say, well, God knows my heart. I'm sorry, but I think that's oftentimes just an excuse, right? Well, God knows my heart. I don't have to be obedient because God knows my heart. We just read the condition about the heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked. So if the heart is deceitfully wicked, then chances are our outward, our outward things that we do is also deceitfully wicked. In reference to the last days, Jesus said, but as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. What were the days of Noah like? Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 has the answer. What were the days of Noah like? Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And we know these things. We've read them many times. Then the Lord saw... That the wickedness of man was, what's the next word? Great. Great on the earth. And that every, now I tell you what, I read this and I believe it because it's God's word. But even I have a hard time of comprehending that it says that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually my friends that's describing a, a, a situation where there are no redeeming qualities none if you will go out I'm not recommending it necessarily but if you go out on websites like YouTube and look at certain social media sites I'm sorry to say that there are no redeeming qualities out there which is like it was just before God destroyed the earth with the flood. Only evil continually. That's the problem with the human heart. The unconverted human heart is that it's only evil continually. Now, you might say, or someone might say, evil in whose eyes? Do you get to decide what is evil for you and I get to decide what is evil for me? That's what the world would have us believe. Well, you've probably heard this. Well, that's, that's, that might be all right for you, but that's not right for me. Or maybe that's true for you. I've heard people say, my truth. My truth? But it's different than my truth. Your truth is different than my truth, and my truth is different from his truth. How can we all have our own truth? You can't, right? Think about your days of learning mathematics. You have a problem. Five plus five. How many answers are there to that equation? One. How many there's, yeah, there's one right answer. How many wrong answers are there? Yeah, an infinite number, right? There is only one truth, and everything else is not truth. That is how God sees it. Now, the problem that we live in today is that 
we as, I'm going to say we as in church, but as humankind, we don't even agree on what evil is. We don't even agree as humankind on what wrong is and what right is. Some will say, well, that's okay for you, but not for me, or not for me, but it's okay for whatever. Doesn't the Bible say, woe unto those who call good evil and call evil good? And you know, when I read, when we read the passage that it said, and the Lord saw, or and God saw, God is the one who decides what is right and what is wrong, what is evil and what is not. It is God. He is the true discerner of evil, and we are all in that boat. Now, unfortunately, many of us, many people today don't see themselves as evil or wicked, right? You know, some say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, I don't hurt anyone. I love animals and children. I try to help old people, those who are fallen, you say. And we might even look pretty good when comparison to someone else. But how does God see us? Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55 tells us. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Which says that our vision and our thoughts are skewed and are clouded and God has perfect vision and he has perfect judgment and he, has, he sees things the way we do not see them and vice versa. Furthermore, in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, he tells us, or that we hear, we see the words, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. That's the state of humankind. Now, for the good part. The good part is that there is hope. There is hope for anyone who desires the hope. We know by reading the passages of Scripture that not all of humankind will be saved, but we are told through inspiration, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love this verse in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 7. God has provided a remedy for our dirty, nasty, stained, sin-stained heart. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. And, let him, and, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God 
for he will abundantly pardon. Mm. I love that passage. Now, just based upon that passage alone, what is God's limit? Ooh, he doesn't have any, it says. As long as someone is alive and breathing, there is hope. Amen? Probably many of us have turned our backs upon God many times. We thank God for the promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a promise. As long as you can claim it, it is yours for the claiming. And I love this one. We're talking about that dirty heart. The answer is that we need a new heart. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. I will give you a new heart. Think about that. Let's say that you bought a, bought a house. And you saw that that house was really quite a wreck. And the foundation was not good. And the, 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 the two-by-fours in the walls were eaten up by termites. And, um, you know, there's only just some little small leaks in the roof. And what if you had a, not a reputable contractor come in, and he said, oh, I put, new, I put new drywall on the walls, and I poured some tar on top of the roof, and, uh, you know, I did a few other things. I put some, 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 some cheap plywood over that hole in the floor. Now you're in good shape. I wouldn't want that. I said, wait a minute, I don't want something that's been made over and only half done. I want something that's new. And it's clean and it's pure. God says, I will give you a new heart. Not a rebuilt one. Not a remodeled one, but a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Oh, that's beautiful. And that promise can be yours and mine every single day. Because if you die daily, you need a new heart every day. Now, do you want God to give you a new heart every day? I do. Some of us see our true condition, but not everyone. I remember a couple years ago I posted a passage, this particular passage, on my social media account. A new heart I will give you. And I got a response from someone who had read what I wrote. And she wrote in response the following words that I quote now. She said, Why ask for a new heart if your own heart is truly good? Most people in the world don't have an evil heart. I like to quote from Anne Frank, In spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. It's so much more beautiful and loving and optimistic than all of that evil business. I just don't believe that most people are wicked. Some people become wicked, but I believe that people are good for the most part. Believing so makes me happy and at peace. 
end quote. I just say, bless her heart. Bless her heart. For the Spirit of God has already showed us what is the true condition of the heart, the natural condition of man, especially when compared to the lovely Jesus. Our righteousnesses are truly as filthy rags. In Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, in Second Timothy, chapter four, the Apostle Paul wrote, "For the time will come." When they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. This is the world that we live in today, especially when we look at, and I'm just going to say these words and I'm not going to expound upon them at all, but the words gender identification I'm not going to say anything more I don't think I need to say anything more but this is what has happened in a large part to the world that we live in today and you know friends our society has developed this idea that mankind is getting better and better year by year or decade or whatever they've decided that Mankind is so much better off today than we were a thousand years ago or even 500 years ago. I mean, after all, look at our technology, our modern medical science and breakthroughs over the last hundred years. But if that's the case, explain all the bloodshed that we've seen over the last hundred years. Explain the idea that we've all heard the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Explain why there are 10 times the number of laws on the books versus 100 years ago. Explain things like rising abortion numbers and overcrowded prisons and long unemployment lines. Explain the number of illegitimate children and families that are incomplete and dysfunctional. Explain things like drug use epidemics and AIDS and bird flu and Ebola and don't even get me started on cancer and COVID. If, we're, if our world, if mankind is getting better, explain those things to me. We can't. The world seems to have this opinion that I'm going to do this for you to view and not myself. But mankind started here and we're slowly working our way up. But in reality, mankind started here and we are slowly working our way down. Not slowly. Thank you. So we need that new heart. We've determined that. In the book of Luke chapter 17 and verse 20 and 21... We read this passage. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is where? Is within you. 
When the heart is regenerated, when we receive and we keep that new heart, the kingdom of God is within us. This is the start of the new world that we all seek. And we don't have to wait for that to start. For Jesus said in John 17 and verse 3, And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You see, Jesus didn't define eternal life as something that's off in the future, that is, that has no way to measure it. He didn't say that it was something yet to be obtained. He says, knowing God and walking in The will of God and in the presence of God is the beginning of eternal life. We can have eternal life today, right now. And as long as we, as the scripture says, hold fast, that no one takes your crown, right? Hold on to that eternal life. Don't let the devil come along and rip it away from you. The perfect world doesn't have to wait until Jesus comes and takes us home. It can begin here and now within us. Knowing God, living in the presence and the will of God, walking by faith and not by sight. This is eternal life, or at least the beginning of it. But what is the reality of what we actually look for? Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for what? New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. We are looking for new, not rebuilt heavens, not remanufactured, not redone or patched or painted or repaired, but new heavens. And a new earth. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not this earth, though. Not the way it is now. I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't take all the money. I mean, you couldn't give me all the money to take this world as it is. A new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Why is righteousness there? Because the Lord Jesus will be there. God the Father will be there. And those who have been recreated in his character, in his image, will be there. And that's going to be us by faith. What kind of world is it that we long for? Hebrews chapter 11. I love this passage. 
because it sums up the experience of those who, who died in the faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Friends, life here is what it is. And hopefully we are living in such a way that we take every advantage of the time that God has given us to, to, to proclaim his word and to do his will. But as the old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We must keep our eyes single to the prize. That perfect world that God is establishing. That better country and we cannot let anything get in the way of us obtaining that goal, of grabbing a hold of that prize, that better, that new country that God is calling us to. We can't let anything get in the way. It calls to mind a, I'm not going to name the names, but I've been watching this online series about the life of Jesus, and there is a, there is a scene where the man is laying at the pool of Bethesda and Jesus comes to talk to him. Do you want to be made whole? And, you know, the directors have taken a little bit of artistic license and there's a small discussion. But Jesus says something that applies to us today. He says, that pool has nothing for you and it means nothing. He says, you don't need the pool. You only need me. My friends, this world has nothing for us. As far as the enticements and the things that are drawing us away from God, nothing, and it means nothing. What is waiting for us means everything. And we cannot afford to lose out. Revelation 21 describes that world and describes it so beautifully. Revelation 21, this is my last passage, verse 1. And John says, Now I saw. Boy, that must have been nice. He says, He didn't say, God told me about, and to write down. He said, I saw it. I saw. And not that patched up heaven, not the one that's, that the, the floors have been kind of swept and, and, and things have been mended and, and, and fixed. No, no. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And here's the best part. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful, or true and faithful. And he goes on with this encouragement. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. Isn't that beautiful? That truly is indeed the perfect world. And I want that. I want it more than anything that this world has to offer. And I'm not going to let anything get in the way of me obtaining that perfect world. Have you read The Great Controversy? Beautiful book. I have some slides. I've put the words on the screen. I hope you can see them. I hope it's not too small. I'm going to read through them. This is from the last page of The Great Controversy. And it says... And the years of eternity as they roll will bring richer and still more glorious revelations of God and of Christ. As knowledge is progressive, so will love, reverence, and happiness increase. The more men learn of God, the greater will be their admiration of his character. As Jesus opens before them the riches of redemption and the amazing achievements in the great controversy with Satan, the hearts of the ransomed thrill with more fervent devotion and with more rapturous joy, they sweep the hearts of gold. And 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of voices unite to swell the mighty chorus of praise. I'm going to pause there for a moment. I can't wait to hear music in heaven. I can't wait to hear it. I mean, we think we have some good music now, and we do, but oh, what is music, heavenly music going to sound like? I want to be there. I want to hear it. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are, and such as are in the sea and are in them. Oh, wait a minute. Did I skip over that? I did. I'm sorry. I didn't put that in. Let me go on to the last paragraph, the very last paragraph. The great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness. Throughout the realms of illimitable space, from the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love. I don't want to miss out. And I don't want you to miss out. Our young people, you can't miss out. God has more in store than we can possibly imagine. We can't afford not to be there. There's nothing in this world that can even remotely compare 
to what God has in store for us. I want to be there. And I want, and those of you who are watching today, I want to meet some of you. I want to hear your stories. I hear you tell about what great things God has done for you. Friends, we can't miss out. It will be the perfect world. And it is ours for the choosing. Let's choose life, eternal life, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for showing us a glimpse of the perfect world that is still yet to come. Help us to keep our eyes upon the prize, single to the glory of God, and to make the decision today while we have this opportunity, yes, I am going to be there by God's grace and through the help of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus that he promises us, I am going to be there. I pray that each one within the sound of my voice today, within the sound, will make that decision to be there. Reminded of a song that Pastor Loma Kane sings, just be there. When we finally make it home, just be there. Father, help us to get there, to choose life today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day until you come for us in the clouds of glory and take us to that perfect world. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.